This is Real Estate Rookie episode 271. First, you need to determine an asset class you want to do, and then you need to educate yourself on it and make that step-by-step checklist. Because once you have that checklist, and it's so much, because it seems like so crazy when there's a whole bunch of things, you're like, oh, I have to do this, I have to do this, I've talked to insurance people, like, but if you just lay it out on a checklist step-by-step in front of you, it cancels out all the noise because all you have to focus on is that next step. And if you have due dates by it, it's great for setting goals. So I recommend just figuring out what asset class you want to do and just choose one, whether it's multifamily, Airbnbs, like arbitrage, anything, and then make that checklist with the step-by-step, like actionable steps that you can take. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And uh, today, I want to shout out someone by the username of GZarita9. And GZarita says, amazing podcast. This is the best podcast to listen to when you are starting your real estate journey. Tons of information, super easy to follow. Thanks to the hosts, Ashley and Tony, who have great personalities and keep every episode interesting and fun to listen to. It's also very helpful to listen to all the guests they bring on to the podcast to stay motivated and learn even more. Keep it up, guys. So, Gizarita, we appreciate you. And for all of our rookies that are listening, if you haven't yet left us an honest rating and review, please do. The more reviews we get, the more folks we can reach, the more folks we can reach, the more folks we can help, which is what we love doing here at the podcast. You know, Ash, I think it's so funny reading the the reviews because it's like we have like amazing comments like that. And then like if you go on certain parts of the internet, like on social, it's just like the exact opposite where people, where people like hate <laughs> on the podcast for those other reasons. So it's crazy that you can listen to the same exact show that gets such polarizingly different uh, opinions. Which we, which you tell me all the time, we can't please everyone. (laughs) (laughs) So Tony, what's new with you? How is it in sunny California? We got snow today and it's cold. It's snowing out there. That's crazy. No, it's like, I don't know. It's like 70 and perfect out here today. Um, but no, it's, it's cool. Uh, we're, we're still working on our, our West Virginia deal. So we're, we're excited for that one. Um, feels like we're getting close to raising all the funds we need for that. Initially we were looking to raise about a million bucks. Um, but we've since, um, made some changes to what we're doing at the property. Um, so we're looking to raise about 1.3 now. So it'll be, uh, it'll be cool once we get that project done. I'm, I'm just super excited to, to really see this one across the finish line and the finished product. Like once we're done with it, I am like, Oh my God, I can't wait to share it with, with all the rookies. Cause it's going to be so, so cool. I have been getting your emails and, um, today I was at Lowe's with Daryl and I got one and I'm just like, okay, read this. And then I'm like kind of explaining to him as to how you are structuring the deal. Mm-hmm. And it's just like very, so intriguing to me, so intriguing. Yeah. And so I recommend any of you, even if you just want to learn stuff from Tony, you don't even want to, you know, buy into the campground or invest or private money or anything. Like you have no interest in that. Just like to learn from him and what he is doing. Go, what is it? AlphaGeekCapital.com and you can just sign up to your newsletters. Yeah, they can head over to AlphaGeek. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. And like, I'll break down just for those that are listening, like how we're structuring this deal and how it's different from the last commercial deal we did. So I was going to allude for them to sign up to your email list so that they'd have to go to that. But now <laughs> go ahead. No up. one has yeah, to sign up now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, we, when you buy commercial real estate, like you have, you have a couple options, right? You can, you can syndicate the deal, which is what a lot of, you know, people do, right? They, they raise uh, the majority of the money and then they bring in debt. I'm sorry. They, they bring in debt to cover the majority of the purchase and they use uh, uh, raised syndicated funds to kind of cover the, the remaining balance. Um, but because the the deal size is, is pretty small on this one, like our total project costs, our total everything is 1.3 million, um, we realized it didn't quite make sense to syndicate such a small deal. So instead of doing a syndication, we said, let's just raise debt. We'll just do the whole thing with debt. And I have a few friends that bought um, apartment complexes in the last year, and it was around the same price, and they used all debt to cover it. Now, we've used debt to fund all of our flips over the last like year and a half, so we, we already know how to raise private money from folks, but this is just at a, at a much larger scale, right, just for one big deal. Um, so essentially what we're doing with all of our investors is we're offering them 15% um, annual interest, right? So if someone gives us, um, you know, for every $100, they get $15 back, um, and it's a three-year note. We're not paying any interest over the first 12 months, and then starting in year two, 
we'll pay interest quarterly. Um, and then we'll pay everyone off at the end of 36 months with um, all of their accrued interest plus their their principal. So it's it's a it's a pretty strong interest rate at 15%, right? Like, I mean, that's a pretty good long-term rental deal, um, better than what you're probably going to get in the stock market for most people. So we felt it was kind of a win-win. And the benefit for us is that once we refinance and we cash all of those people out, now we own 100% of the deal. So that's our goal with this one is, you know, pay out some really good interest for the first three years. Our cash will be pretty tight over that time frame because we're we're paying 15% interest, um, but assuming we can uh, refinance into something below 10%, it'll be a good deal for us too long term. I feel like we need to do a rookie reply on this soon, talking about the pros and cons of doing it this way compared to you know raising money through a syndication for a deal like this. Okay, so let's, uh, producers, are you listening? <laughs> let's put a bookmark on that for a rookie reply episode. <laughs> but today... Tony and I are still fangirling over today's episode guest, okay? So we have Ava Yurgans on. She is going to blow your guys' mind. She is 17 years old, has two investment properties, okay? She is going to tell you exactly how she did it. Of course, not all of you are going to have this option, but there's still going to be a large majority of you that do as to get getting started this way. But hopefully it can also kind of get the wheel spinning that for those of you that are 15, 16, 17, 18, give you ideas as to ways you can get started so young or somebody, you know, I think giving them some of the books she mentions, you know, when they're in high school, when they're in college to kind of get them turned on to this way of living. Uh, But she is just a very impressive, amazing girl. And she talks about, she has a long-term rental and a short-term rental. She'll talk about how um, she uses software and the things she uses to manage her short-term rental. Also very knowledgeable at finding her markets as to where she's investing to. So she'll kind of talk about the three P's there. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the BiggerPockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Ava, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you start off with telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in real estate? Yes, of course. So, well, hi, my name's Ava Jurgens. I started a real estate investing company with my now fiance, Ben. 
when we were 15 years old. And now we're 17 with 900K in residential real estate. First, let's clap. That's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) When I was 15 years old, I was working at Finish Line part-time, making like $5.75 an hour or something crazy (laughs) like that. So that's like super, super impressive, Ava. Thank you so much. Yeah. So let's start from the very beginning. What even intrigued your interest about real estate investing? Yeah, of course. So kind of funny story. So I was actually sitting in history class my sophomore year of high school, and my teacher started presenting about a guy named Andrew Carnegie. And if you guys don't know who Andrew Carnegie is, he um, had he invented the company like the Carnegie Steel Corporation. And basically, it was like a cool rags to riches story. And he was basically like the Elon Musk or like the Jeff Bezos of his time. And just hearing about him and what he did with so little just really inspired me. And I kind of knew after that, I really want to be great. I want to do something great with my life. So after class, I searched up like something so dumb on Google, like books to be successful or something like that. (laughs) And of course, the first one that popped up, you can guess it, was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I forced my sister after school that day to drive me to Target because I was 15 and didn't have my license. And she did. And then the day I actually like we got home from Target. And as I opened the door, my dad is at the top of the stairs. Like he's never home from work at 3 p.m. when we get home from school. But he's at the top of the stairs with a mask. And it turned out like everyone in my family except me had COVID, but I had to quarantine anyway with them, which is so dumb. You have to like quarantine with people who had COVID, but it was a close contact, (laughs) so I couldn't go to school. But that essentially that quarantine gave me the time to actually read the book. And then after I read that book, I found Bigger Pockets. You know, I just went down the whole rabbit hole, read all the books, started listening to all the podcasts, started attending the local RIA, and it was all kind of history from there. I had to read a... Dale Carnegie book when I was in high school. It's how to win friends and influence people. And I did not appreciate that book at all. And so really? I think it was in college in college when I read it again. Um, one of my friends, actually my first business partner, was like, You need to read this again. And then that's where I saw like the huge value. If only I had been as smart as you when I was in high school and you know, really appreciated the value of that book. So Ava, what like like do your do your parents like preach uh like entrepreneurship and 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 you know wealth building because i like so like you know so many kids have heard about andrew carnegie in high school but most of them are probably not going to go out and buy a rich dad poor dad afterwards so like i guess what was what was like the home life like that maybe made you think a little bit differently than most sophomores in high school so my mom is a teacher so this definitely she was never like on the entrepreneurship or business route But my dad had like a sales job for most of my life. But then when I was around 10, he ended up starting his own company. And so I got to see like entrepreneurship and business like on with my dad. Was this kind of the same path for your boyfriend, now fiance, or were you the one that kind of convinced him as to getting into this entrepreneurial spirit? So Ben, he has had a lawn care company since he was 13. So he was always kind of just like into having his own business and like making his own money because we both we've never had like jobs before. Like I'm unemployable by anyone besides myself. (laughs) That's what I always say. So as long as you know that about yourself and found it out early before you spent so many years trying different jobs and realizing you hate it. So you're lucky that way. Definitely. Well, that's amazing that he was 13 and started that business. So what was the first conversation like when you guys decided you're going to invest together? How did that happen? Mm-hmm. So basically, I obviously was the one to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I was like, you know, Ben, just just read it. Just read it. But Ben's not going to read a book. So <laughs> basically, I ended up just having to like sit down with him and explain everything. And looking back on it, it might have been more forceful of me but Ben like loves the idea of building wealth and even if it is boring like he is willing to do it so I wouldn't say there was any convincing involved but it was I was definitely more of the one like okay you know like if you ever read the book Traction um, like okay we're gonna have our Sunday meetings we're gonna do this 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 week I need you to cold call these people this week so it was always like I was more of the boss but he was willing to do any of the work that I needed him to like help me with. So Ava, I'm so curious, right? So you guys have this conversation about like, you know, let's become real estate investors, but you're, you're pretty young. Like most people your age can't um, really afford to buy real estate. So after you guys made the decision to say, Hey, this is what we want to do. What was the next step to actually getting that first deal and eventually get into almost a million dollars worth of real estate? 
So I can like step by step explain the first deal because I feel like it best showcases how we did it. So obviously, the first thing we needed to do was just figure out the financing. So luckily, because my dad's a business owner, like he gets to make his own money in a way and it's allowed him to save up a lot of like cash on the side. And so he agreed, him and my mom agreed to partner with me and Ben, which I'm so grateful for because it's a lot of like, you have to put a lot of trust in your 15 year old like kid to like handle that amount of money. But basically what we did is the partnership we ended up using for our first deal was like a 50-50 partnership. Um, and essentially, I'll explain later how we did it. But if you think about it like this, you have the down payment, the closing costs, and then the repair costs. If you add that all together, that's like all the costs you have to pay up front. Me and my parents essentially split that in half and me and Ben paid half and my parents also paid the other half. So now for our first deal, we'll split the profits 50-50. But I'll get into like how we kind of made that money. But before we even found the first deal, um, we figured out the financing. So we agreed on that partnership and got that in writing. Then me and Ben decided to go the off-market route when finding a deal. So we did the cold calling. We did the direct mail. Like before school, I would get up at 315 every morning and just write out direct mail after direct mail. Because I was so frugal at the time, I didn't want to like spend money on any direct mailing apps. So I just wrote it out. And then after school, me and Ben would pretty much just cold call for hours on end until we couldn't do it any longer. But after three months of like hard work and dedication, we actually got a deal under contract. And over those three months, we were able to get our half of the like down payment, closing cost, repair cost by something called couch flipping, which you guys might be familiar with. It's a great side hustle, but essentially you find a couch on like Facebook Marketplace, OfferUp, Craigslist. You buy it, you clean it up, and then you resell it for a, like a higher price. And you're able to make like 200 to $500 an hour with this method. But of course, like it's not on your own time, which kind of sucks. But over time, over those three months, we were able to raise our amount of the down payment, closed cost and repair cost. That is crazy. That's amazing. And, but you are right about it. Like that's very time consuming. It's, you know, it's when you find a couch, you got to go and clean it and take care of it. Were you guys doing all of this yourself, going and picking up the couches for sale, cleaning them yourselves? And then were you delivering them to people too, once they bought it or were they coming to get them, but you still had to meet the people I'm assuming? Yeah. So basically some people would have us deliver. And if we did deliver, we would just um, have like them pay a fee because not everyone has like a pickup truck or is going to rent a U-Haul. And then some people just took it themselves. But if you're delivering it, you got to charge extra, okay? Come and sell on the extra cash. Wait, I don't I don't want to turn this into a couch flipping episode, but I am, I am just curious, <laughs> right? So um, w- like how were you sourcing these couches? And then what kind of work did you have to do to get them ready for the, the end buyer? And how much would you typically make on one couch flip? Mm-hmm. So I'd say the average cost or like the average profit we'd make on a couch flip was around 250 And that would take anywhere from like 30 minutes to an hour because we just mainly stick to like our area. So we didn't have to drive that far or anything. But you know how I mentioned how like me and Ben, like we both agreed to do this. But what I had him do was he mainly did the couch flips and I mainly did like all the real estate stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's just like it was easier for both of us because both of our parts were essential, but we both didn't enjoy each other's part that much. So you, you said 30 minutes. So does that mean you guys were literally buying a couch on, you know, at, at like two o'clock and then reselling to someone else at 230? The same exact couch with like no changes to it? So we have sold many couches without cleaning them. Sometimes I say we clean them just to sound like a better person. <laughs> but um, <laughs> we sometimes like it wasn't necessarily like it sold in 30 minutes. It was just like. It, the time that we were actually working was probably 30 minutes added up altogether. Got it. Got it. That's that's so cool. We've been talking about this for a while as like having like a, a side hustle episode where we talk about all the different ways people can like side hustle their way towards their down payment. So Ava, you you and Ben used couch flipping to fund your 50% of the down payment and the closing costs for that first real estate deal. Yeah. And it's super effective because we, in the end, were able to raise our half, which was like 20K in three months, wow. which is great, especially if you're a team. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just such a great way to raise money. Can we? I just, we gotta. We gotta stop there for a second, right? Because there, there are so many uh, adults who can't save twenty thousand dollars in in three months, 
And the fact that the two of you as teenagers were able to do that proves that there is no excuse as to why someone who has a, a car, a job, and, and the means shouldn't be able to replicate that same thing. So I am I'm so incredibly happy that you guys uh, you guys shared that story. Ava, so I also want to talk about the cold calling piece because you said you were up before school, you know, cold calling and after school doing all this work. So um, cold calling can be like a very nerve wracking thing for a lot of people, right? You're, you're calling on strangers that have no idea who you are. So how did how did you kind of, uh, I guess, learn the ropes of cold calling and, and what did your script kind of look like as you started to make those phone calls? So how I crafted my script was I just went on YouTube and just watched a bunch of people's videos explaining like what they say, why they say it. And then with that, I just took a bunch of pieces of theirs and kind of just made my own. So that's how I made the script. But of course, with cold calling, I was so nervous in the beginning. And honestly, still today, if I ever like jump on like a mojo dialer session to go cold call people, I'm still shaking for like the first (laughs) hour. But um, just like imagine like 15 year old on the phone, like, hey, can I buy your house? (laughs) Yeah. So it was definitely a nerve wracking experience. And like, I definitely would say cold calling is not fun to anyone. Unless you're like really strange, but I, um, it was more just mentally. That was probably one of the hardest things I did, especially because you're getting rejected like thousands of times before you actually get your first deal. Some people say terrible things, and like I understand you're kind of probably bugging them, but like you still don't need to say bad things. <laughs> but um, I'd say it was just probably it kind of made me grow up in a sense. Real estate in general made me grow up. Um, at like a teenager and it made me more of an adult and I'd say cold calling was especially one of those things because you have to feel out the caller like who you're calling on the other end of the line how they're feeling what you should say if it's like a sensitive if it's like a probate call like you got to be really careful on like how you say anything so cold calling is definitely a skill that takes probably years to master okay so let's go into that journey you've decided with your boyfriend you're going to buy a property you've saved up for the down payment walk me through that decision to purchase a property together um and then what did that kind of look like to find the property and how did you decide on what strategy you were going to do too so originally we were going to wait till we're 18 just because we're not old enough to get a loan and like we weren't really like exploring co-signing or anything quite yet but we both have like severe ADHD and we're like, okay, we just, we got to start now. I can't wait. <laughs> so that's initially kind of just how we made the decision and just our goal in general, like any other couples, like we want to build wealth together and we're just so passionate about it. And we love doing things young. I mean, just doing business young and like doing cool things young. So honestly, that decision, it wasn't hard. Was there anybody that doubted you guys? Like you guys can't do this. You're too young. Or like, Literally don't buy a house everybody. together. <laughs> yeah. Literally everybody. How did you overcome that? Yeah. Honestly, uh, it wasn't necessarily overcoming it. It was kind of just blocking those people out. And like, it was surprising by like how many even family members didn't even believe in us. And obviously like, our friends thought we were crazy. And as I said earlier, it's not necessarily overcoming it. It's just blocking those people out because at the end of the day, you know yourself the best. And if you know you can do something, you can do it and you shouldn't let other people's opinions affect you. You know, Ava, I'm curious because, you know, one of the one of the biggest challenges for new real estate investors is the the lack of community. Right. Where it, it feels like you're kind of on this island by yourself. And I, I wonder, did you and Ben feel that same feeling of, of kind of being alone? And if so, did you guys take any steps to try and find that community of other real estate investors that you could connect with? Um, definitely just being so young, it wasn't something we could talk to our friends about ever or even our families because none of our families have invested in real estate. But I definitely say like we found a lot of people at our local RIA, which was nice. But again, like you only meet with them once a month. So you have to go out of your way to ask people like, hey, do you want to meet up for lunch this weekend or you want to go check out this property together? So Yes, it's super easy to feel alone, but you yourself have to go out and find that community because it's always there in every single market. Okay, so you guys are still going forward. You're blocking everybody out. How are you going to buy this house with your not 18? You can't get a loan. I'm assuming you probably don't have any kind of credit history at all. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you guys do that? Well, actually, we again decided to go with our parents and get a loan with them. And then also like split the down payment, closing cost, and repair cost. So I guess that's how we went about that. 
And as actually for the credit, something that anyone can do for their kids or if you're a teenager listening for this, we I actually do have a credit score even though I'm not 18 yet. It's because like I became an authorized user on my parents' credit card. And essentially when you become an authorized user on someone's credit card, you get their credit score. And so you have to make sure you go with someone who has good credit, but you don't even have to, like you have a credit card, but you don't have to spend anything on that credit card. So with this partnership with, is it both of your guys' parents then? Uh, no, it's just mine. Just yours. Okay. So it's the four of you. And then how did you work that out on the mortgage? Are your parents just on the mortgage? Did you guys do any kind of written documentation? What does the kind of partnership look like? Who's responsible for what? Yeah. So basically we had them put their names on the mortgage just because obviously you have to be 18 to have your name on a mortgage. Yeah. But we actually did transfer our property into an LLC which I do want to say, like, the do on sale clause is a thing, so this is not me advising you to do that. But we took the risk. We're good so far. <laughs> but now we have, so my parents are members on the LLC because, again, you have to be 18 to um, actually have your name on that. But on my birthday, I'm getting a call from my attorney. It's scheduled to, like, have my name switched on the LLC, and me and Ben will become the members. Can you explain that a little more, the do on sale clause and what that process looks like of buying the property in a personal name, getting the mortgage in the personal name, and then going and switching it into the LLC? And just what are some of the pros and cons of of doing that? So we always kind of wanted to buy in an LLC, but obviously the terms are more favorable that you can get on the loan if you buy it in someone's like personal name. So what we did is we had my uh, mom and dad like get the loan. And so it was in their names. But then we decided to create the LLCs with our attorney after. And the attorneys can handle like the whole like switching the name process and like they can handle that. But the risk is, of course, the due on sale clause. And I've heard like maybe one or two times where it actually has gotten like called on, but they were able to resolve it with an attorney. But again, that's not me advising you to do it. Like I'm sure there's plenty of horror stories to do with that. But essentially what the due on sale clause is, is if you switch it over and the bank finds out, they can say, oh, all of your loan is due like in the next 30 days, you have to pay it over. So um, essentially, if you get caught, you might have to pay the rest of the loan in full right then and there. Yeah, I think Ash and I both, you know, a lot of people have heard the due on sale clause. I personally have never met anyone that's actually had that triggered. And, you know, I've known quite a few folks that have uh, moved title over to LLCs. But like you said, Ava, it definitely is a... Definitely is a, a concern, right? So make sure that you handle that appropriately. Ava, I want to dig a little bit more into how you're splitting up the duties and responsibilities on on that first deal. So obviously your parents helped uh, with the, the mortgage application and 50% of the, the capital that was needed. But what about actually you know, finding the deal? Sounds like you guys found it through your, your cold calling, um, but, but everything that comes after actually owning the property, how are you guys splitting up those duties and responsibilities? Yeah, just because my parents have obviously closed a house before, they were kind of like right at our side teaching us and like showing us like every time they had to sign a document, my dad would call me downstairs and be like, okay, Ava, watch me sign this document and you explain what it is. So it's honestly super helpful just having someone who's actually like bought a house before. And so he was a huge helper on like showing me how to sign everything and um, just like all the process that kind of comes with it. But when it came to pretty much everything else, like calling the insurance company, making sure that's set up and um, like figuring out property management and stuff. That was all me and Ben because obviously they haven't invested in real estate before, but I've read all the books. So that, yeah, fell all on us. Yeah, I love that. And, the, uh, you know, people ask all the time, like, Tony, Ashley, what's like the right way to set up a, a real estate partnership? And our answer is almost always the same where there is no right way or wrong way as long as both sides are, are happy. And it sounds like for your uh, partnership with your parents, it was more so they were bringing the capital and a little bit of the, the guidance, but yet you and Ben were doing all of the legwork. And even if that's not like a, a, a parent and a child relationship, but just two separate investors, that could still very much be a win-win situation. And there are countless partnerships that have that exact same structure, right? The So many properties in my own portfolio, I have partners that brought all the capital and carried the mortgage, but we found the deal, we set it up, we manage it long-term, we split the profits down the middle, and everybody's happy because all they had to do was sign some docs and, and wire some cash, and we did everything else for them. So um, it definitely can be a win-win situation when you set it up the right way. For sure. Uh, one question I do have is 
What would be your advice if somebody is in your position and they want to pitch to their parents this investing idea? What would you, how should they present it to their parents? Mm-hmm. The kind of, maybe they're unsure that their parents would actually say yes. What's some advice you can give that maybe you noticed when you talked to your parents about this, that they were, you know, eager to go ahead and help you with this? Yeah. So of course, again, I'm so thankful because I have super supportive parents, but essentially what me and Ben did was we created a slide deck, basically explaining like start to finish how we would find the property. And then after the fact, like what work we would do and what would we need them to do and like how the numbers would kind of work. But it really closed the deal once we actually like found the property and showed them the numbers. That's when they like fully agreed to work with us. Mm -hmm. Because obviously like at the end of the day, the deal like then the money they're going to make is the most important thing. And the fact that you like wrote it down and you showed them too. And it wasn't just like, I know what I'm doing. I know I can do this. Like I'm just talking. I think like really showing them the numbers and breaking it down is really great. And Ash, I think that's a valuable lesson for all of our rookies, right? Like if you're Mm -hmm. looking at raising capital from someone else, you know, obviously if it's someone you have a really good relationship with, maybe you don't need to do this, but if it's someone that's maybe a newer connection, like giving them something tangible to read, digest and understand really helps them grasp uh, both the value that you're going to bring and the value that they'll get out of partnering with you on that specific deal. And Ash, I mean, you, you've talked about George before, but like, didn't you do a, you did like a presentation for your first partnership too, right? Yeah. So I used to make like these binders, like I physically print everything out put them into a binder when, you know, for private money or for partners. And, you know, it'd be my deal analysis, bigger pockets, calculator reports, everything. And I'd give them a binder and me a binder. And we'd sit there over coffee and like go through it all. And now you can just email stuff. But I just like (laughs) thought it was more efficient to hand these old guys a copy of the binder to go through. Um, But also thinking about that too, is who is the person that you're delivering that pitch, that speech to too? What's easier for them to understand and comprehend like a physical copy of something actually seeing it and visualizing it maybe it is them just hearing it and you talking about it or maybe it is sending them uh, you know a google drive folder with all the information in it and them sitting down at their own time going over it Ava I'm curious have you have you used that same pitch deck uh, for any other opportunities or was it just that one time with your with your parents so that specific pitch deck I only used with my parents, but when I did um, acquire my short-term rental, I pitched to a bunch of different investors with a new like slide deck I made. Interesting. Let's let's talk yeah. about that a little bit. Yeah. So you you guys obviously do well with this first deal, and then you stumble upon the second property. So tell us about the second deal. How'd you find it? Was this another off-market deal? And walk through how you kind of put the financing together to close on this one. Yeah. So actually for this one, I'd love to go like step by step on how I acquired it and like the whole process that like it's applicable to anyone. So like teenager or not, like you can do this no matter what your age is or like how much money you have. So I guess going into the second deal, since it was a new asset class as a short term rental, I needed to educate myself. And whenever I do go into a new asset class, I always find like the best book that everyone recommends about it. So in this case, it was Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth by Avery Carl, which is a bigger pockets book. So I'm not biased. It was so good. <laughs> she talks about how to acquire the property um, and then after like the management side of it. And then I also went on to YouTube for education. And you have to be careful on social media because a lot of the people who are posting about real estate in general, like specifically, tend to... It's sometimes they're more about the money than actually offering people value. So you have to really seek out the people who are providing value over money. And there's two YouTube channels that I love. So Tony, I'm going to pretend you're not here, but I loved <laughs> Tony and Sarah's YouTube channel, The Real Estate Robinsons. I swear, this sounds so biased, but it's not. But I love their videos. And I think my favorite video was like the messaging template video you did mm-hmm. for like yeah. the automatic. That was so helpful. And again, like that video is not going to get like millions of views, but you still posted it because it was valuable, which I really appreciate. And then also Rob Bilt, um, so Robert Abasolo, who is the co-host on the Bigger Pockets podcast. So that's step one, educating yourself. And then step two is what I love to do is make like a step-by-step to-do list of like exactly what I need to do to acquire this property. So for a short-term rental, I just wrote that all out, like checklist form. And then I just write a date next to each step, like what date do I want to find an agent? What date do I want to like choose what market I'm in? So then you can be like, okay, in 60 days, I should have a property by then. And then um, the next thing I did was figure out financing. So this is where the pitch deck kind of comes in. 
I made my slide deck and we actually had like me and Ben had a business class and you had to like make up a business. So we did the Airbnb thing and that's where we actually like originally made the slide deck. But it was super intense because we had like a business competition and 60 kids were in this class and we had to like present our presentation. And if you won, like you didn't have to do any more assignments the rest of like the year. And we won <laughs> with our amazing slide deck. So that was awesome. But um, so we used that pitch deck on people just at the RIA because there's a bunch of investors there. And we, it was so like, it was kind of mortifying because like it's easier to pitch to your parents than to like these investors. But after like about like 20 people, we finally got someone to say yes. But it was, it wasn't humiliating. It was just really scary, especially getting rejected like in person because all of these were in person. Ava, let, I just want to, I want to pause here for a second. So you said that you pitched it to 20 people. Was this like you standing on stage pitching to an audience of 20 people or, or were you one by one pitching to 20 different people who said no? So for the one I did in class, we actually had 20 like business owners come in and we pitched to them. And then for the when I did it, like just for my own personal Airbnb like reasons, I pitched it to like 20 people separately. So I, I want to talk about how you initiated that conversation to pitch it to those people separately. Um, these are people you had met through the RIA, I'm assuming. But how did you actually set up the call to say like, hey, I want to pitch you on this next deal that I'm working on? Yeah. So first, I kind of just went around the RIA, asked around and like wrote down who all the investors were, got their business cards or like information. And then individually, I would just reach out, set up a meeting, reach out, set up a meeting. Because I honestly, like, I didn't want to set up more meetings than I had to. So I do one by one. It's kind of tedious. But like after like a couple months, I finally got someone to say yes. So this wasn't like something that happened in a week. It took a while. So one one theme that I'm noticing, Ava, um, is that you you have a very... You, you you have a very high level of determination hey. and you do well with rejection. Like that first deal that you you and Ben got from cold calling, how how long did you have to cold call before that first deal came through? Yeah, I was like five hours every day for three months. Yeah, five hours every day for three months, right? You, you talk one-on-one -on -one with 20 different investors and hear no, but yet you keep going to find that 21st. Like there is so much value in that little nugget of the episode alone because there are so many investors or aspiring investors who after that first, not even the first rejection, just the thought of that first rejection, they'll stop or they won't move mm -hmm. forward or, or they, they won't take that action because they're just afraid of that first rejection. You got rejected for three months straight, right? For for 20 conversations straight, but you didn't let that stop you. So I'm I'm just so incredibly happy that, that you did move forward because that is such a big lesson for our rookie audience. And something interesting about that is like, I've started other businesses other than real estate and getting rejected so much in real estate and then like moving to marketing and other businesses like real estate is honestly, I think it's the best business to start because you have to market like crazy to get a deal. But if you take that same amount of marketing you did into a different business, a lot of the times it is so much easier. Like I did not realize how like much you had to, I, not, I wouldn't say harder because that sounds discouraging, but real estate, like you have to try really, really hard to get that deal because a deal is life changing. I mean, in other businesses, if you market, you get a client that's like, it's not necessarily life changing. That's why it should be hard, but just applying it to other businesses, it's crazy how how like real estate has helped me so much in business in general. That's really cool to hear. And that's interesting as to like that progression of, you know, taking things that you've learned from one business and easily implementing them to another business instead of like, okay, this is a whole different, you know, industry. I've got to start from scratch again and really taking those tools. And I think that's what a lot of our listeners have to realize are things that you're doing in your nine to five W2 job that you may hate now. There's got to be at least one thing you can take and implement it to give you that leg up, that advantage in a real estate business. Oh, also to mention like the financing we did for the short-term rental, like this is kind of what I pitched in the slide deck is like, it's kind of similar to what I did before. Aver Carl mentioned this in her book, but it was essentially taking the down payment, the repair costs, the closing costs, adding that big chunk of money together and splitting it. So that's kind of the same thing we did, but where the investors, they would get the loan. So like the money partner, they would mm -hmm. get the loan and they would pay all that money up front, like including our half. And then us, we are the sweat equity partners. We would do all the work, do all the management, get the things set up. And then we take any profit that we made from the Airbnb and start paying down our half, start paying down our half. 
and we got this in last May. So we're like almost done paying off our half with all the profit. But um, once our half is paid off, we'll revert back to splitting the like, we'll revert back to splitting the cash flow 50-50. But the reason I say like anyone can do this is because we don't have any money in this deal. And we use partners, so it didn't really matter our age. So that's why anyone can do this method just with that partnership. I'm not saying this, it was a very hard deal for, to find for that reason to make this partnership work, but it is possible. And it does show that like anyone really can do this. Yeah, that is that is so so incredible, Ava. Um, you know, there there's so many investors who who don't necessarily have all the capital they need to to grow their portfolio, but you've just displayed in an incredible way that as long as you focus on uh, building your network and providing value to other people, you're, there's a good chance you can find someone that has the capital to, to fund your deals. Um, and the structure you use, it's another great way, right? It's like the first deal you did with your parents. It was just kind of, you, you put up half, they put up half, you guys split everything half. This deal, this other partner brought everything to the table, but you worked out a way to repay them with the cash flow. There's so many creative ways you can structure a partnership to still make it a, make it a win-win. Um, just out of curiosity, Eva, where is uh, where is that short term rental at? What city in what city is it in? Yeah, so that actually kind of leads to my next step, which is choosing your market. So I know you have one there, but I have one in the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And the reason we chose that market is there's so many reasons. First off, like the policies are great. Like the economy relies on short term rentals there to like make money, and then also the price. Mm, so it's gotten really competitive. We'll just say that. But like <laughs> we were able to get a deal that made the numbers work. So you got to make sure like the average daily rate with like along with the medium home price and the occupancy rate, we got to make sure that works. So like using sites like AirDNA, for example, that's kind of where we found the numbers. And then I'm trying to think policy price. What is the third P? Popularity. Popularity. That's it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so there's um, Smoky Mountains, number one most visited national park in the U.S. So obviously it was a great place because a lot of people are going there. And national parks, they will never die. People will always love them unless like the world all catches on fire. So they're safe. I say they're a safe, safer area. It's completely safe. But then the next step was kind of just determining the property criteria. So like how many beds and baths we wanted. Um, and then for the Smokies, you want a cabin. Obviously, you wouldn't want like a modern house there. That just wouldn't make sense. So the cabin, you know, number of rooms just and also like we wanted one with a hot tub already because a lot of people like hot tubs there, the guests that come. And then after that, we needed to figure out like how are we going to find this deal? So we ended up using an agent and going on market. And when you do go for an agent, I recommend finding someone who has a deal in that market. The agent like has a deal and no short term rentals in that market because it's always nice to have like someone helping you and like confirming like, oh, this this would make a great Airbnb. And then the next step is honestly just finding the deal. And basically, I think, trying to think, my goal was just to find a deal before I turned 17. And we got it under contract three days before I turned 17. So I did it. <laughs> but um, it took probably like two months of like waking up early every day, checking out the MLS, analyzing a bunch of deals before we found the one where the numbers were right. But after that, like after you close, it's basically just, you know, setting up the property, getting it automated with all like the apps and softwares. But that's pretty much start to finish, like how we did it. When Bigger Pockets started podcasting, no one thought we needed a store, but then books, so many books, best selling books, rookie books, partnership books. We needed the best real estate bookstore ever. So we chose Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch stage to the first order stage to the, did we just sell out the whole store stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling real estate books or retro clothing, Shopify's platform helps you sell everywhere, online or in person. Now, speaking of online, did you know Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout? Up to 36% better than other leading commerce platforms. And no matter how big you grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control of your business. And that's why we chose Shopify for the Bigger Pockets bookstore. So sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash bprookie, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash bprookie now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash bprookie.
Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. I just want to say, and I, Tony and I have like a separate little chat thing that we do as to like, who's going next or whatever, you know, did, or what should we talk about? And we're, we're in there just like hyping you up. It's like, <laughs> she is explaining, analyzing a market better than some of our grown adult guests. That come on here. This is amazing. So would you be interested in talking like deep into the numbers on one of the properties? Yeah. The one I probably know best is my first deal, the long-term rental. Okay, let's go into that. I'm going to spit some rapid fire questions at you, and then you can kind of go more into the story of how that worked. So um, what was the purchase price? So the purchase price was $175,000 even. Okay, and what market was it in? It is in the greater Milwaukee area. And this was, you did a mortgage with your parents on it. Correct. And what what kind of mortgage was it? Was it the 30-year fixed, conventional? It was an investment I believe it was like an investment property loan. It was 25% down and the interest rate was four. Looking back, we probably could have gotten better just because when we bought it, it was at the time where interest rates were like three. Mm -hmm. But my dad was honest. He said it was an investment property. So that's the kind of loan we got. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's that's not a bad thing at all. Um, And then is it fixed for 30 years? Correct, yeah. Yep, okay. And then uh, how did you find this deal? So again, B found this cold calling. I will give credit to Ben. It was his cold call that got the deal. (laughs) (laughs) He'll never let me forget it. (laughs) There you go, Ben. She gave you credit. Okay. And then uh, what was the rehab needed on this property? So actually, this is super interesting. So the property is over 100 years old. And we get while this deal was off market, we still worked with an agent to close it, just make sure we're doing everything right. And When we got the inspection report back, the agent said, like, this is the best inspection report I've ever seen. And the house is 100 years old. It needed, like, $200 in repairs. It was crazy. Okay, so um, you want to kind of go into a little bit. Yeah, I know you've touched on it throughout the episode, but was there anything that kind of stood out to you about this property? Anything that, you know, failed or that you just, like, weren't aware of something that went wrong. Uh, huge success. I mean, I think only having $200 in repairs for the property was a great success. Um, and then also kind of wrap it up with what your cash flow is. Yeah, of course. So I, I guess we can just go right into the numbers. So it was already a rental previously. So we had inherited tenants. And essentially, since it was 25% down, our mortgage was a little bit lower. But the final numbers look like this. So it's a duplex. So there's two units and our final rent, like our rental income is around 2100 Our mortgage payment plus expenses, like insurance taxes is around 1500 
we do not have to pay any of the utilities just because our market that we're in, it's just law. You don't have to do that. You have the tenants pay it. So we have about $600 a month in cash flow. And then we split that in half with my parents. So we each get 300 And something about this deal is, that's kind of funny, I guess, is me and Ben decided to like take on the property management role of the property. And just at the end of the day, being 16 and being a landlord, like no one takes you seriously. <laughs> so yeah, that lasted about two weeks. We had like, so we were inheriting tenants and we had like one encounter with them because their lease was ending. So we had to renew it. And so I just remember that day, like getting ready. I put on a suit, like put on makeup to make myself look older. <laughs> and like literally with the suit, I wore sneakers. So I don't even know what I was trying to get at here. But um, we, I remember like getting to the property. My hands were shaking, like clammy too. I was sweating, but we sat at the like their kitchen table and I'm going through this like rental agreement that we like drafted up with our attorney and I'm getting to like the expectations and the rules part. And I'm just, I'm, I'm getting through these so quick because I just want to get this over with. And I like start saying like, oh, there's no smoking in the property. And then as I say that, I literally, my eyes dart to the ashtray on the table. <laughs> and like, it was just, it was the most awkward experience of my life. Like I was staring at the tenant, staring at the ashtray and it went silent. Let's just say they did not sign the lease. They're not our tenants. We never continued that with them. So, so what yeah. happened? Did they like move out? That next day or? Okay. So their lease expired in like two weeks. So we basically, I just like didn't know what to do. So I just kept reading the rental agreement. (laughs) And then like originally we were going to have them sign it there, but I just left it at their house. I'm like, yeah. And like, yeah, let's just say like they ended up moving out, but never again. We hired out property management and I do not regret it. Like, honestly, it's been so seamless because we like interviewed a bunch of people, but it was, it was mortifying. So did you include a property management fee when you ran your initial numbers on it? Yeah, I did because we were going to pay ourselves to do the property management. So yeah, we did. That is so smart. And that's what I wanted to like hit at is that even if you're going to self-manage to start is to run the, put that number into it in case you ever decide to outsource the management. And I love that even more is when you are paying yourself to do it because you had partners your parents mm-hmm. and you guys are doing the self-managing, not your parents. And it's not fair. You're doing that for free while you're splitting, you know, the cash flow evenly. And any of my business partners, we did the same thing too. When I was managing, I would take, you know, an extra pay out a cut for, you know, doing the property management on the property if they weren't doing anything. So, so smart. Um, and then what about the short-term rental? For management purposes? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So just with all like the technology and like the Airbnb softwares, like we personally decided to manage that. And like we use a ton of different softwares. And literally, I probably work on my Airbnb because I only have one. It's like maybe 10 minutes a week. Like we have automatic messaging um, saying like the guests giving them the code and the directions to the property. And we also just have like automatic things with our cleaners. And it's just, it's so nice. You just have to put in the work to do the research to figure all that stuff out. But once you do, I recommend you go that route because you don't want to be paying like 25, 30% in short-term rental, like management fees, because it really adds up. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's interesting, right? Like, um, I know a lot of people who have property managers for their long-term rentals, but yet they self-manage their short-term rentals. And it's uh-huh. weird because you think that it would be the other way where people will be more willing to self-manage their long-term because it's, it's one tenant, one person, but yeah, the short-term rentals, I, I think there is an element because there is so much automation and so many things you can do to where it is easier to, to self-manage those in, in a lot of, in a lot of ways. It is. Um, that's awesome. And sorry, I know you mentioned this, but can you just re restate one more time? What's the, what's the cash flow that you guys are getting now after the management fees on the long-term rental? On the long-term rental, we're getting about $600 and then we split that 50, 50, which 300 each. Not, not, not bad, right? <laughs> you know, not bad at all. Cool. Well, anything else from you, Ash, on this deal? Or should we hit the, uh, hit the exam next? Yeah, I think let's go to the exam. So we have three questions for you today, Eva. The first one is, what is one actionable thing rookies should do after listening to this episode? I would say, first, you need to determine an asset class you want to do, and then you need to educate yourself on it and make that step-by-step checklist. Because once you have that checklist and it's so much, because it seems like so crazy when there's a whole bunch of things you're like, oh, I have to do this, I have to do this, I've talked to insurance people. Like, But if you just lay it out on a checklist step-by-step in front of you, it cancels out all the noise because all you have to focus on is that next step. 
And if you have due dates by it, it's great for setting goals. So I recommend just figuring out what asset class you want to do and just choose one, whether it's multifamily, Airbnbs, like arbitrage, anything, and then make that checklist with the step-by-step, like actionable steps that you can take. Love that answer. All right. Question number two. Actually, before I ask this question, so did you did you graduate from high school already, Ava? So technically I should be a senior, but I graduated my junior year, not because I'm extra smart, but just because like I took the credits I needed to on time. Got it. All right. So um, my next question then is what's one tool, software, app, or system that you use in your business? So the one software I choose would be Guesty. It's basically an Airbnb plap. It's like a system that covers pretty much everything for your Airbnb. Like it has automatic messaging on there. You can connect your slodge lock to make like new codes for each guest on like the door lock. It's just like an all-in-one platform where you can see all your bookings. Because let's say you have a listing, you can like post on Airbnb, but you can also post it on Furbo and all the other booking platforms. And it will basically give you an overview of all those platforms like together in one. Okay. And our last question is, where do you plan on being in five years? So I right now have another business that has to do with like helping people build their personal brands with short form content on social media. So right now I've been super like honed in on that business to get capital for like bigger multifamily deals. Because after exploring a bunch of the asset classes, I realized I don't like flipping. My heart lies in multifamily and it will forever. So (laughs) I've been basically just trying to like hoard money to buy those properties myself this time because I I love the idea of using investors, but it's a lot less stressful when it's just your own money because I never, ever want to lose someone else's money. So basically, I've been focusing on just building up a lot of cash for that. But then also at that point, I think my biggest goal in life is to be buying businesses, whether they're real estate businesses or not. At the end of the day, like cash flow is cash flow. And I think buying businesses is a really great way to do that. Hey, awesome. Um, all right, cool. So before we wrap things up, I want to give a shout out to this week's Ricky Rockstar. Uh, this week's Rockstar is a name you might know. So if you're at all active in the Real Estate Ricky Facebook group, you 100% know this name. Uh, he's also a previous guest. I, I, I always forget his, his episode number, but you can look him up. But this week's Rockstar is Kevin Christensen. And Kevin says, this is what it's all about, Ricky's. My 19-year-old daughter and her 19-year-old husband just closed on their first investment property. At 19, my wife and I were horrible with money. Uh, my wife and I didn't buy our first investment until we were 36. I can't I cannot imagine where my kids will be at 36 armed with the knowledge that they've gained over the last few years and that he's super proud of them. Um, but he finished it off by saying, never have I more felt the old adage, feed a man once and he'll eat for a day, teach a man to fish and he'll eat forever. All right. So Christian, uh, Kevin Christensen, we love that man. And congrats to, to your wife and your, your son-in-law for that amazing first real estate deal at 19. And Kevin's episode was episode 51, if anyone wants to go back and take a look at it. Well, Ava, thank you so much for coming on to the episode with us. We really appreciate it. Can you let everyone know where they can reach out to you and maybe ask you a couple questions? Yeah, of course. So on every social media, I'm at Ava Jurgens. That's A-V-A. And then the last name is Y-U-E-R-G-E-N-S. And that's Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, everything. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, You definitely brought a lot of value to this episode and I hope everyone learned a lot, but talk about a huge inspiration. And that's what I love so much about being a host on this podcast that after these recordings, I get so motivated and inspired. So thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thanks for having me guys. I'm Ashley at Wealthform Rentals and he's Tony at Tony J Robinson on Instagram. And we will be back on Saturday for a rookie reply. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. 
Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.